Welcome to episode 28 of Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, and I am joined by my co-host, Darren Weeks, who is on his own putting the Cape Cod beer industry out of business by doing Dry February. Wow. Well, hello. Good evening to you. <laughs> and you are dropping some facts here. Um, these poor people standing in front of the streets. Where's the where's Darren's side? So that's okay. That's okay. So yeah. So good to see you. What's how are things? Good. How about you? All business ready to go here. Yeah, huh? <laughs> we actually are a little bit more pro tonight because we've got some new audio equipment that I bought. What audio equipment? <laughs> you fucking heard what I said. I know you sound like um I don't know those swears are gonna come in like crazy audio now. So going back to last week, I made a pretty good episode last week, right? Mm -hmm. Had some fun with that. I had a great live and good Facebook roundtable this past week. So yeah, we had a good the, the Breakfast Club did good this past week. We had a good few days, and it was nice to get back into the battles again, mm -hmm. right? You know, instead of those battles, you just beat me down all the time. Actually, <laughs> February's um, been a bit of a month. About, <laughs> yeah, you haven't drank it, so you're. Poof brutal you know it's brutal um home stretch. weeks ago we're almost at home, home stretch, stretch, home stretch, fucker. Home stretch. Yeah, there you go Ooh, <laughs> the audio sounds great god i mean told off and you know surround sound but, surround sounds like going to the theater and you know we're gonna have some fun with this we're gonna talk a little bit more not so much battles per se we're gonna talk more about a siege again is we're gonna stay out west and we're going to talk about the Siege of Meridian, the Meridian Expedition. So this will be a lot of fun. We get to talk about our old friend, Uncle Blingy, William Sherman, among some other people. So this will be good. It's always fun to talk about some of the battles and some of the experiences that a lot of people don't probably study on. And it's fun to dust off the old knowledge on some of these campaigns. And this is certainly one that's a lot of fun to study. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing the research for this one because it's almost like one of those ones that is a, I don't know if I want to say footnote in history, but it's not talked about very much. But in doing the research, and I'm sure you found this too, like it is, I think, a huge factor in the March to the Sea. This is kind of like Sherman's experiment to see if this kind of total war will work. It's not like the March to the Sea was not born, you know, three weeks before. This mm -hmm. is where it really, really happens. And there's going to be yeah, aspects I mean, this... that we're going to talk about that show that this is kind of where the idea of total war began. I mean, this is, they call it Sherman's proving ground, right? Mm -hmm. To your point, it was to see what they could do. And it's kind of like, you know, a rocket's about to take off from Cape Canaveral. And like they do that, the walkthrough before to see yeah. if it's going to work. So basically, you know, we'll talk more in detail about this whole thing. But basically the Meridian campaign, he really has a couple of goals he wants to do. And we'll talk in detail, high level, don't go back to low level, but... He basically wants to protect the Mississippi River from gorillas. He wants to basically operate deep in enemy territory, and he wants to basically destroy Confederate war-making capabilities along that Mississippi River. And he also wants to take out Nathan Bedford Forrest, who is being pain in the ass up yes. to that point. And so that's kind of what he does. So real quick, Meridian, Mississippi, just about 150 miles from Vicksburg. It's got to be just a just a gaping target for sure. He's just got to sit there because they're idle. There's not a lot going on. He's just got to be sitting there thinking, yeah, this is a great opportunity. I mean, this is a city now in eastern Mississippi. Uh, it's got three intersecting railroads going right to it. It's a huge Confederate strategic location right between Jackson in that manufacturing center up there in Selma, Alabama. Big distribution center for products for, uh, to Selma, grain, cattle, that whole area. So it's a big, big, big target of what they want to do. If they can go ahead and they can destroy that, it's going to put a real crimp in what the Confederates want to do as far as moving supplies in and around the area where we saw from Chattanooga, Chickamauga that had just kind of gone down. That's obviously the next big theater in for the for the war for the west is going to be well moving through mississippi and alabama and eventually through georgia sherman is also doing this to start waging that psychological warfare 
as well to bring war to the people. Because from where he is in Vicksburg, his start-off point, he's about 130 miles. So not as long as the March to the Sea. I was going to turn out the clock a little bit from this. So, for, you know, right around Christmas time, December 1863, this is just, this is past Ch- Chattanooga. Things kind of settle down, right? Grant moves his headquarters up to Nashville. So he's up there checking out the, uh, he must have been a big hot chicken fan <laughs> up there in Nashville. He keeps George Thomas, General Thomas in Chattanooga. He's going to be in charge of what's going to be the Army of the Cumberland at that point. Sherman is sitting in Bridgeport, Mississippi, which is just southeast of Vicksburg. He's actually ordered to distribute troops along the the railroad from Stevenson, Alabama to Decatur, basically heading back towards Nashville again, ironically, Mary, to repair railroads. So it's kind of funny how this whole thing goes. The generals are kind of spread out a little bit here. So James Burbsey McPherson, see I pronounced it (laughs) right that time for you? Okay. (laughs) He's He's still in Vicksburg. We'll talk more about these guys in detail, but he's still in Vicksburg. General Stephen Hurlbert, he's in Memphis. Hurlbert from South Carolina. Ironically, from Charleston, Mary. So Mm -hmm. there he goes, you know. They're kind of spread out. The rebels still had a strong position in Mississippi. They were threatening the Mississippi River. It was still a stronghold for the most part. And Sherman, you know, he doesn't like to sit in his hands. He sees an opportunity and he's going to go to Grant. He's going to he's going to make a pitch. Yeah. We mentioned before that Grant's up in Nashville. Okay. Yep. So Sherman, get a picture of him bouncing off the walls. I mean, you just got to imagine how he is, right? He's going to go to Nashville and he's going to see Grant and he's going to say, hey, um, here's what I'm thinking. How about I grab a couple of guys and go fuck shit up? And Grant's like, okay, well, Washington's not going to like this too much, but I'll tell you what, I'll let you do it, but you got to get back here by March 1st. He actually goes home for Christmas and then he returns right afterwards. He goes to Memphis and he starts to get his posse together. So he's going to mm-hmm. go to Memphis and he's going to meet with Stephen Hurlbut. He, he wants two good divisions. Just give me two, he says, right? He goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to get take your guys and we're going to go down towards Meridian, Mississippi. And we're just going to go try to scuttle it. We're just going to go to try to wipe it up. Also in Memphis, who does he run into? Brigadier General William Sui Smith, right? Yep. From Ohio, of mm-hmm. course. He's going to be a guy who's going to be in charge of the cavalry. Now, he's an interesting cat, Sui Smith, right? West Point, 1853. Right afterwards, he graduates, quits, gives up the old quit in 1854. He's going to join the Illinois Central Railroad. And he's an engineer by trade. That's what he is. So he's going to basically establish the Parkinson and Smith Engineering Company. And did you know, Mary, did you know that he was a surveyor for a bridge that connected the U.S. to Canada? I did. Niagara Falls? I was just looking at that right now. You are not allowed to cross. I am not allowed to cross that bridge. But yeah, he was involved in one of the first surveys for that the bridge to connect Canada and the U.S. near Niagara Falls. And then at the outbreak of the Civil War, he joins the 13th Ohio Infantry. And by June 1861, he is commissioned a colonel and he's appointed Brigadier General of Volunteers in April of 1862. And in Vicksburg, he commands the 16th Corps 1st Division. Yeah, so he's got a little experience. I mean, up to that point, they were still taking those barrels over the falls, you know. (laughs) Do you know that? The, the people don't That's how I was actually going to resort to coming over there. That or a catapult, I don't know. A coffee can will take care of you. <laughs> but basically, Smith has about 2,500 cavalry that he has at this point. And Sherman's going to basically say, here's what I want you to do, okay? Nathan Bedford Forrest, he's, you know, he's been harassing our garrisons in western Tennessee and Mississippi. He's been a real pain in the ass. We're going to end up with about 7,000 guys. You're going to take some of Herbert's cavalry. We're going to send you right through Nathan Bedford Forrest territory because we know he's going to find you and we know you're going to fight him and we know you're going to beat him. Yeah. So while we're going to take care Meridian, you're going to take care of this pain in the ass that we cannot get rid of. And so Smith's like, all right, so 
fast forward now to the 27th of January, 1864. Uh, but before he does that, though, before I jump ahead, Sherman does tell Smith, listen, Forrest, this guy's nuts, he, by the way. He does. He, he says that Sherman in his memoirs writes, I explained to him personally the nature of Forrest as a man and his peculiar force. So he's going to like, this guy has the potential to fuck you up big time. Another, and Sherman tells him, too, that he will encounter Forrest, who always attacks with vehemence, like which Smith must be prepared for. After the first attack, he must assume, in turn, assume the most determined offensive from Forrest. He tells him, you need to utterly destroy his own force. So he's basically given Smith as the you've got one job guy. Like Forrest is quite the reputation. And you have to remember, like Sherman absolutely detests Forrest to the point where he said, I don't care how many men it takes, how many men will die. And if it bankrupts the treasury, Forrest needs to die. Like he, he Isn't had it something how, how history might have changed if Smith had got him. Oh, just going forward. Just I was thinking things. that, like, wow. You know, Forrest has about 4,000 guys, okay? Mm -hmm. But he's a madman. I mean, he is. And Smith, you know, he's an engineer from West Point, and he's, you know, he's making his bridges. And, and Sherman's like, no, no, this, this is a different thing here. But you're going to go, you're going to have almost twice as many guys, okay? We're going to send you right into his nest and just deal with them. So Sherman's going to leave. So 27th of January, he's going to leave Memphis. He's going to go back to Vicksburg and he's going to run into McPherson. And he gives him that same plan as well. But he also tells McPherson, before we go, I want you to get yourself a spy. I want you to take your spy, send him to Meridian. Okay. And I want you to find out the strength and the location of the army before we go. And that's, that's kind of what we want you to do. Mm -hmm. A couple days go by, February 1st, 1864. It's almost high time. Sherman's sitting in Vicksburg. The spy returns, kind of like Henry Harrison, right? Gettysburg. The spy yeah. comes back from earlier and he tells him really three big pieces of information. One, Leonidas Polk is in charge. Okay. The old deacon, Mary, yeah. he's in charge. Bishop right? Polk um, is in charge. The founder of the University of the South at Sewanee, which is still there, by the way. Mm -hmm. Leonidas Polk from North Carolina. He's told he's in charge. His headquarters in Meridian. Speaking of Polk, this is kind of, as your name is Lucia Polk here. Yeah. It's almost the end of the line because a couple months more in Atlanta, he gets killed, right? He gets killed in an artillery attack ordered yeah. by you know who. Yeah. He gets All the road is Howard. Yeah. Exactly. So, I just had to find a way to get Howard into this. Nice. That's, there it is. But <laughs> There's there our OO that, reference that, that's for That's for show. you. So you didn't think we'd get Howard into this one, but we did. So there you go. Nice. All right. So, but the spy also tells him basically he's got two divisions of infantry led by William Loring, mm -hmm. who's in Canton, Mississippi, yep. and William French, who's in Brandon, Mississippi. He also tells him he has two cavalry divisions. One he already knew about in Forrest. The other, he has Frank Armstrong. He also basically tells him that Polk has no idea that Sherman's thinking of doing anything. Nope. And he also tells them that Polk is scared shitless of Sherman. So Sherman has an opportunity. So a couple of days later, the campaign's going to begin. And Sherman's biggest concern when he writes Nathaniel Banks on January the 31st, 18... From? Nathaniel Banks is from Waltham, Massachusetts. Waltham, Massachusetts, the greatest city in the world. Yes. Like that. Did you know Loring's parents or Loring's father was from Massachusetts? I mean, anything else? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go on. <laughs> And and actually, Hurlbut was originally from Mass too. That I did not know. Yeah, I'm something new today. So I do research. <laughs> you do on company time at the old DQ. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Februarys tend to be quiet. The yep. old blizzards up there, so. <laughs> Do some research. But Sherman's biggest concern is the weather. And 
you know, we've talked in a few episodes, the one we just did about Henry and Donaldson, about how the weather factors into this. But this particular winter had been, uh, Sherman starts off in his memoirs in the chapter on Meridian saying it was very been cold and severe. And there was actually a chance that the Mississippi, they weren't going to be able to navigate on it because there was so much ice built up on it. And with Sh- when Sherman was coming back from Ohio, like the ship he was on nearly sank from the ice and all that. But he tells Banks that uh, the weather is his biggest concern. They actually do encounter some rough weather on this march to meridian but it's not really like sherman doesn't really talk much about it because they were able to move pretty smoothly through it but yeah the weather is definitely a concern for him here yeah so february 3rd 1864 is when the show is getting ready to begin so sherman quotes he says the, the goal is to break up the enemy's railroad and do as much damage as possible in february and be prepared by march 1st to get to assist general nathan banks in a similar dash at the red river so he's got that march 1st in his head so he knows he knows he's gonna be done by march 1st so he knows this has to be done speed and surprise it's maneuver and logistics versus tactics in this one right yeah you're gonna move quick which we're gonna see later on when we talk about georgia so he's gonna go march 150 miles he's gonna live off the land and he's going to recklessly expose himself (laughs) to rebel attack from three directions so he's really putting himself out there and so this is going to cause some serious anxiety in Washington. Yeah. Like, Whoa, well, okay. th- nothing like this has ever been done before, but just like you can see the March the Sea starting to come out in this because mm-hmm. he's got a right wing commanded by McPherson. He's got the left wing commanded by Hurlbut and he's got cavalry doing a little bit of screening, but not to the extent that it's going to do on the March the Sea. This is something that he actually mm-hmm. improves upon with the March the Sea. When he leaves, like he says that General Polk seemed to have no suspicion of our intentions to disturb his serenity. <laughs> so it's like, we're going to go fuck him up. And yeah. he's very confident going into this uh he writes a letter to ellen a few days before and he said i am now so situated that dismissal for any cause not involving absolute wrong would not concern me having done a full share of the real achievements of this war i need not fear accidents i do believe i can do more on the mississippi than any general officer in the service except grant so he's going into this really confident it appears as though he's forgotten what happened at missionary ridge i I think he's showing i think he's conveniently like (laughs) real real he's writing he's writing letters to alan he must try to want to be on that tv show that's probably (laughs) where he was going with that He's basically, Washington is going to be nervous about what's going on because it hasn't been done before. Yeah. But you know who is not nervous is besides, besides Sherman is Grant. No. Grant's, Grant has the confidence in Sherman because he knows that if, if it goes bad, he knows he's going to be able to retreat. He's going to be able to get to the coast. He's going to be able to get to the Navy. He, he, so he, he's like, I have confidence in Sherman. If things go bad, he's going to basically be able to pull it off. So you mentioned the cavalry. He's going to have E.F. Winslow's cavalry, a solid Mena, Mary, from Augusta, Maine. He's going to have screening him. Not a big cavalry force, but to your point, he's got Burbsy on the right column. He's going to cross over the big black bridge there. Uh, Hurl Butt's going to be in the left column, to your point. He's going to cross the Messenger's Bridge. And you know what? He only is going to take two wagons for the mm-hmm. whole 150-mile trip. And live off the land, use the resources. But you know what else? The, the other benefit of using the resources of the Confederates is the Confederates aren't going to be able to use it because they're going to take it on. So exactly. The food, the supplies, anything they eat is food the Rebs aren't going to be able to eat. So there's that too. And there's that quote. He says, not a tent was carried. So these guys didn't have supplies as far as sleeping goes. It forced the troops to keep moving is yep. what it did. If you don't have tents, well, you got you to keep, keep moving. So they do run into a little bit of bumps on the road. February 6th, I mentioned Big Black. They, they run into that a little bit of rebel cavalry. It's going to be driven back pretty easily because the cavalry is 
always going to get pushed back. Yeah, yeah. Sherman says, we push them pell-mell and beyond Jackson. That's a phrase that needs to come back into usage in, in this time. Pell-mell. I use pell-mell probably once a day, Mary. Okay, <laughs> I've used it before too, but to I think I'm the only one. I've said it recently and I'm like, I will get looks like, what does that mean? You should say it all the time. Not if you use Paul Mall, those cigarettes that you smoke. Yeah, well, okay. well, I've tried practicable. That that one gets a few. Is that a word? Uh, <laughs> a little bit here and there. So um, <laughs> February 9th, you know, Sherman's sitting in Morton, Mississippi. It's a couple of things about this. Morton's about halfway between Vicksburg and Meridian. February 9th is a, less than a week from when he started. So this is how fast he's moving. Yeah. He's halfway there. He's been there less than a week. He sees signs of the rebel retreat. He sees the empty camp. So he knows they were there. As the timeline goes on, a couple of days later, they end up at a place called Decatur, which we got to talk about a little bit here, right? So they camp in Decatur, which is about Hurlbut passes through there. And he's about four miles ahead of McPherson. So there's a little bit of spread. So you're talking about 20,000 man yep. basically for the most part. They're going to camp in Decatur. Old Uncle Blingy, Sherman, is going to end up sleeping in this log cabin owned by this woman, mm-hmm. okay? And he's going to crash. He's going to fall asleep. So he's going to wake up one, to sounds of yelling and screaming, pistol shots. Sounds like your neighborhood, you know, on a Saturday <laughs> night in Goderich. You know? Saturday and, night. <laughs> Saturday, no, crazy Saturday hey, night. Hey, I'm not kidding when I say we are like Appalachia, Ontario. <laughs> oh, it certainly is. Certainly is. People, women throwing rocks at kids in their front yard. You know, long story. Hey, I'm 38. I've reached my get off my lawn stage. <laughs> <laughs> but basically... <laughs> What's going on, obviously, is the area is being attacked by the rebel cavalry. So they're, they're trying a little t- overnight attack. So Sherman's going to wake up, and he's going to send Major and Reed to go find Horobot. Mm-hmm. Horobot, like I said, is a little bit ahead, right? He's go get him. We get a, we get a regiment back here. But you know, this is Sherman. This is about as close he gets to being captured in the war. Yeah, he even really am- he it. even admits that that it had you know the men not come back, he could have very well been captured by these. Yeah. Uh, they were actually rebel cavalry. And Reed ends up running ahead. He ends up getting Horobot and gets comes back with the regiment and they do push the cavalry back but sherman is talking about you know they almost got my ass that was that was you know a little close so mm-hmm. eventually mcpherson's column does arrive from a few miles back and they end up spending the rest of the night in decatur and it's a pretty uneventful night for the most part at that point every time i hear decatur i think of ferris bueller's day off oh yeah, yeah where's your mom she's in decatur <laughs> you just gotta call me you just gotta call me <laughs> call me maybe and Fast forward, it's February 14th, 1864, which is this, the day I think it is Valentine's Day again. Yes. Right? Here we are. We're and back at another episode with Valentine's Day. Another Valentine's Day. Two years so, to the day from Henry and Donaldson. Yep, exactly. So Sherman's going to enter Meridian. He's going to get there. And he's going to see again the enemy was there. Now, this was Polk's headquarters, right? They pulled back to a place called Demopolis, Alabama. Yeah, he okay, evacuated the dance floor because he got scared. Because the one thing that Sherman is doing on this march is he's fainting and he's fainting towards mobile is one of the places and the other thing that he's got nathaniel banks doing is he's got some boats running around in the area of mobile to make it look like there's going to be an attack and Mm -hmm. the faint plus these boats is so convincing that poke has this like fuck i gotta get out of here and he fucking leaves. He's gone. We were afraid they were going to go at Mobile. That was the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that was the whole thing. And like so, he thought they, he thought for sure. And Sherman wanted them to think he was going yeah. to Mobile. So you have, you have banks with the boats outside of Mobile. He's making it look like he's going to Mobile. He even had to write a letter afterwards saying, I didn't, I didn't fail to take Mobile. I never planned it. Yeah. Well, he's got That's, that letter to banks on the 31st right. that, that basically so he, he says. Faked, he faked out his own guys because, yeah. I mean, because 
what you know what Polk is doing throughout this. We mentioned before he's got Sherman in his head anyway. He's falling back. He's falling back. He's falling back. So Sherman basically takes Meridian without really any struggle whatsoever. Now here's where the problem comes in, Mary. Okay, is he supposed to meet? His cavalry guy here, William Suey Smith, is yep. supposed to be here already. So he has a quote. He says he was not arriving as ordered. He was no, he was nowhere to be found. Yeah, he's not. So his seven thousand man cavalry is not there. Okay, so he doesn't know what happened to him. He doesn't disappear. It's kind of like Saturday night when people just vanish the face of the earth. And, and so the original orders were he was supposed to meet in Meridian on February tenth. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is four days before, right? And he ain't there. This is after he destroys forest he's going to destroy forest he's going to meet he's going to leave the first that's what he's supposed to leave he's going to defeat forest meet me here in the tent that's the game plan right he doesn't leave memphis on the first he leaves on the 11th he leaves 10 days late he was supposed to be there the day before he leaves on the 11th because he's waiting on george warring's brigade from kentucky they're supposed to come meet him to strengthen yep and they got they got backed up because of the weather because of the ice on the river slowed them down so you have sherman waiting there with all his guys and what does sherman do he completely destroys meridian like he he does he tells his guys like sherman's orders were wipe the appointed meeting place off the map he's basically like you know what i don't know where this guy is we're gonna wait here a few days might as well ruin the town right and sherman's mad though he joked but he's pissed yeah he, he says it'll be a, it's a novel thing in war if infantry has to wait for the, uh, the motions of the cavalry so and basically what happens with Smith is he starts late and he starts coming down, ironically, a, a county called Chickasaw County. Yeah. Funny how, how life is. And, and that's where Smith runs into Forrest, right? In a place called Ocalona, right mid-February. So Smith runs into him. They have like a, you know, like sometimes you watch those movies in a bar and there's a fight that spills out of the next bar and it spills into the street, like yep. the Westerns. That's what happens, except it's over an 11-mile area. Yeah, and he's also getting chased spilling. by people who aren't with Forrest. It's random militias that start chasing from Smith guys from as Missouri he's coming away. out of the woodwork on him. So Smith's like, what in the crap? So he's getting hit with frontal attacks, flank attacks. He's being hit by militia, cavalry, clowns. Everything's coming at him, right? <laughs> the Loch Ness so Monster. The only reason why Forrest stopped is he ran out of weapons, out of ammo. Yeah, and Forrest's brother that, is actually killed at this battle. His is, brother Jeffrey is killed. He dies right in Forrest's arms. Yep. Very sad. So so Smith ends up retreating in a panic back to Tennessee. So Sherman doesn't know this is going on. You know, shitty internet. And he does. Self. Exactly. And he doesn't have any clue. Like he finally, I think it's on the 20th of February, he finally says to McPherson, but okay like we gotta go the guy is obviously no. not coming gonna get until the 20th like to your point and he's pissed off because you read his post battle report he says he's smith angry. did not fulfill his orders which were or clear and specific going back real quick we'll talk about what they did so around the 14th sherman decides he's gonna go hog wild because mm-hmm. he's already pissed he's already got the gold that was the plan anyway he doesn't know if forest is destroyed or not but he's going to use that time and he's going to go off he's going to basically just go completely wild on him basically you know you look at it but polk he's sitting back at demopolis wondering when is this going to stop he, he's not prepared for anything and you wonder what would have happened if he did go at him he probably would have chased him all the way to cuba you know, oh, the way it was, it was going. What Sherman is trying to do to Polk is he's trying to keep him guessing to your point. They sent a raid up the Yazoo River, you know, yeah. that, that whole thing. There's a thing called paralysis by analysis, right? You hear yeah. sometimes in politics and phrase where you want to get a guy so concerned, so freaked out, you just freeze. 
right? And that's what he's doing. He, not only does he fake out Polk, he fakes out Joseph Johnston, who's sitting in Dalton, Georgia, going, yeah. shit, maybe he's coming to me. It's like you're sitting on the subway, and there's a crazy guy on the subway, and you're all sitting there quiet yep. and all looking up, because you, if you look up, he's going to come at you. And they're wondering, is he going to be coming to me? So they're all sitting back, scared shitless of Sherman going to be coming. And Sherman has a great quote where he says, we put the enemy in the horns of dilemma. Is what, he, is what he says. So yep. he goes full blingy on Meridian. We talk, we talk about that. He sends detachments in all directions and just says, go get them. Yep. And that's what they do. Yeah. And he says at the, the end of it, he said, Meridian with its depots, storehouses, arsenals, hospitals, offices, hotels no longer exist. I have no hesitation in pronouncing the work as well done. Everything. He, 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 they took out the depots, the storehouses, the bank barns, the hospitals, the, <laughs> the hotels. They took out everything's gone. You know how you like to read the casual numbers because you got yeah. that ghoulish thing about you <laughs> well i'm gonna do this real quick with what they actually destroyed okay because it's a really impressive list so it is james mcpherson he did most of the damage they took out 55 miles of railroad 53 bridges 6,075 feet of trestle work, 19 locomotives, 28 steam cars, three sawmills, and a partridge in a pear tree. Okay, <laughs> he took that's he that he took all that out. Hurlbut, not as much. Didn't take his weedies apparently. He took out 60 miles of railroad, one locomotive, and eight bridges. Okay? How many bank now, barns between the two of them? Probably not many. Not, not many. Not the good ones anyway. <laughs> the Rebs, to their credit, though, it doesn't take long for them to repair the railroad. But what they can't do is they can't replace the locomotive motives and the steam engines so really what they did is they basically put them in a really 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 tough spot as far as technology goes and as far as their ability to wage and or which is what which is what sherman wanted all along exactly yeah sherman wanted to give this total war thing a try and he says in his memoirs that the objective of the meridian expedition was to strike the roads in land so to paralyze the rebel forces that we could take from the defense of the mississippi river the equivalent of a corps of twenty thousand men to be used in the next georgia camp campaign and this was actually done so he's also trying to get them looking yeah. elsewhere as well but he says at the same time i wanted to destroy general Forrest, who with an irregular force of cavalry, he's basically saying like force is being a shit disturber and he wants them gone and sherman writes in his memoirs in this we failed utterly because general w soy smith did not fulfill his orders in sherman's memoirs soy smith is persona non grata yeah, and, and apparently after the war Smith kept going to Sherman and saying, can you please forgive me for this? Sherman, he never did. And he says in his memoirs, he's a really nice guy and I like him. But this shit is on him, and I am not taking this out of my memoirs and forgiving him. He, he never, never forgave him because he, I mean, really, he let him down because his primary goal or one of his primary goals was unfulfilled. And February 26th, 1864, Sherman begins to pull back. He pulls back to Canton, and he's still at this point. Speaking of Smith, he still hasn't heard what the friggin's going on here. So it's right around here is what he likely finds out about it. Yeah. Because this is when he goes off the grid. He loses his mind. He's he's pissed at, you know, at what's going on. He's disappointed. And to your point, he writes a letter to Grant and says how disappointed he is in Smith, which is big because he's going to the commander of the army throwing this guy under the bus yeah. right he's not saying i'm not angry i'm just disappointed well, he, writes, he, he writes that thing exactly he writes that classic civil war letter he says i regard him as the most accomplished gentleman and engineer but never regained my confidence in him as a soldier so what he's doing is he's telling him yeah he's a good engineer but he's a shitty soldier he put it up by reason yeah that he's not fit to be a soldier so and eventually smith you know he's going to resign july of 1864 he resigns you know why he gets arthritis 
Yeah. And he resigns. He resigns. Ends up returning to being a civil engineer again. Rest of his life, he's just going to be an engineer. He's going to die around 1915, 1916, something yep. like that. That's going to be it for Smith. That's going to be the end of that. And so, so Forrest, you know, he doesn't doesn't get stopped. He continues to do what he's going to do. It leads to all the things that he did the rest of the war and after the war, fortunately. Yeah, but it makes you wonder, you know, that is an interesting what if. Like, what if Smith had managed to stop Forrest? Like, how would it have been different? I didn't like O'Connell in his book, Fierce Patriot, biography about General Sherman. Like, he has this theme through it about how much Sherman hates Forrest, just wants to go after him. And this is one of those times. And I think, you know, I was kind of thinking like, well, why doesn't the Meridian campaign get talked about more? And I'm wondering if it's because this was a huge thing for Sherman to to get Forrest. Like, I think for him, it was nearly as big as getting Meridian, if not well, a little bit more than that. Well, remember, Sherman's coming off of that shaky performance in Chattanooga, right? Exactly. So so this is more of just a, not just a proving ground for, for George, it's a proving ground that he still got us. Yeah. Now, he goes to Meridian, he does what he's supposed to do. But part of the deal with the Graham was he was going to get Forrest. That was part of the deal, you know, So, but he has to go. So the 27th, he's going to leave Canton. He's going to head for Vicksburg. He's going to give Hurlbut the keys to the car. He's going to say, you're in charge. He says, stay here till March 3rd and then get your ass back to Vicksburg, which, which is what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Basically, for the most part, he's going to get back and it's going to help prepare for that future thing. But for the most part, the Forrest thing notwithstanding, it's almost a perfect campaign, it right? Is. If you think about everything, because what they did as far as all those things, that des- that destruction we talked about, they put the Rebs back significantly in material. If they had gotten Forrest there, I think it would have been, this would have been up there w- with the March of the Sea as far as overall Sherman success it, story. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, that it would be more talked about. But I think because of that aspect with Forrest, because that was you know a major part of the campaign, it's not something that's spoken about because it was a failure and really it's it's like, okay, we went and destroyed a town and we marched back again. Like O'Connell in his book, Fierce Patriot, says it was done with an experimental frame of mind and it will eventually provide the template for the march to the sea. This is him getting ready to do the march. Now, the one thing that Sherman does with this is, you know, the one thing that you hear a lot with the march to the sea is talking about the destruction of property, the taking, you know, what they didn't take, they burned, the ripping up of railways and all that. Sherman actually did some research into if this type of warfare was considered I I don't want to say humane but you know what I mean like if it was considered right to do this type of warfare because you know in the civil war they fought like you know they're looking at things like Germany they're doing Napoleonic style tactics but as we see at this time that the face of war is starting to change so Sherman looks to what they're doing in Europe and, you know, he's seeing the Napoleonic style tactics in that. But then he looks to what some British monarchs did in Ireland. And what they did is they took the Irish off their land. They took their food and all that. And they basically did what Sherman was about to do. And he's like, ah, there's my justification for this. But the other thing, too, that Sherman writes, and he, I think he writes this to Grant, and I think he writes it to his brother as well. But he talks about how, like, this type of warfare is going to cut down on the number of lives lost. Mm-hmm. He's not putting a bunch of men at risk. You know, as much as I've studied Sherman in the March of the Sea, I'd never, ever seen that was one way he was thinking. He was thinking, how can I also save lives, but end this war quickly? Well, it shows, I mean, he was a flanker. He was a feigner. Cheatham Hill notwithstanding and some places like that, he never went and attacked the front. He was always trying to protect lives. And when people in the South talk about what a butcher Sherman was and all that stuff, what he ultimately did, and we're getting, we're jumping off target here, but... What he ultimately did with this march to the sea was he expedited the end of the war, mm-hmm. which probably saved thousands of lives because that would have gone on and on and on. Yeah. And so, you know, Shelby Foote calls Marini 
calls it, you know, this was something of a warm up, he says, in that Ken Burns thing. And he's right. He took a concept of what he wanted to do and he delivered on that concept. You can say a lot of things about Sherman, mm. but what he does, he learns from his experiences. Oh, he, he does. Them. He doesn't have enough credit for that. No. Because when, when he makes a mistake, he doesn't repeat it. And when he finds something that works, he enhances it. And so he takes the learnings, and he takes the experiences from Meridian to the March to the Sea, which is march to enemy territory, live off the land, demoralize a total war, take away the enemy's resources. And, you know, the total war thing is kind of a is kind of a silly thing if you really think about that phrase, because they were doing some things, but for the most part, they were moving quick. They weren't staying in places and destroying everything. The whole thing with this was speed and time. They ain't got the time. They wanted to get to Meridian and back. Grant gave that timetable. You've got to be back here by March 1st. I'm not sure what was going on on March 1st, but, you know, <laughs> be back. Yeah. Maybe, maybe something was going on. But but he wants to be, obviously, he wants to be ready for the, the spring campaign of 1864. But he, um, it's really a huge, you know, to your point, you said, it's a huge point of the evolution of warfare at that time. From getting is. away from that Jomini, Napoleonic type of style. It's kind of a throwback, a hearkening back to the, maybe the American Revolution as far as that type of style. Yeah. But it's not done out of bloodshed. It's done, it's done for demoralization. Mm-hmm. It's done to deny supplies and done for the most part to help pave the road for what his army is going to ultimately do which is bring the whole army, including grants, down through some other parts to really excavate the work. Marzalek, hope I'm saying his name, last name correctly, in his book called Sherman, A Soldier's Passion for Order, he talks a lot about the Meridian campaign and just like what O'Connell says, this very experimental thing that he's doing is the kind of the march to the sea precursor to see if this is going to work. And he says one of the things that Sherman was taking into consideration is the fact that like Sherman is a person who he very much likes the people of the South. A lot of his friends are Southern and he is in an area actually where he does have friends and rather than take the lives of those friends, you know, doing a pitch battle like Shiloh he much preferred to do a raid, so a march, like he does from Vicksburg to Meridian and then later from Atlanta to Savannah because he didn't want to risk those friends being killed or something like that. You know, he had friends who were fighting on that side and he knew they were going to, they could be fighting against him. So that was something else he took into consideration and that was quite appealing to him. The other thing that Marzalek says, if the Meridian raid proved successful, it would show once and for all that crippling the enemy's ability and will to fight was the most efficient and least fatal way to wage war. So even at this point in 1864, Sherman is thinking, how do we end this quickly? As you said about the March to Sea, he found a way to end it quickly without a lot of lives being taken. And he realized too that he could march through Confederate territory and feed his army at the expense of its inhabitants. Therefore, they are not able to wage war. against him because he's taking their supplies he's also destroying the railroads as he's going and again it goes back to this there's not going to be the slaughter of thousands of soldiers and he's thinking of both sides of this no i mean you think about it, they ultimately take out 61 total bridges mm-hmm. i don't think we have any bridges in mississippi to be honest yeah. but the, unless they got all of them you're looking at the fact of taking out 20 locomotives how long and expensive those are to build you know all of the railroad tracks and stuff like that the sherman neckties and all those things a lot of a lot of that is a little overrated because you can fix 
fixes pretty quickly, but they couldn't replace those that hardware. That was the biggest problem. Yeah. And as we found out as the war went on, think of when Lee is going through his final death throes heading towards Appomattox. Yeah. They had to surrender because they had no supplies. They had no way to get it to them, no way to get weapons, no way to get food. Everything was delayed. And that was all the work that's being done from these other campaigns, not so much attacking soldiers, but attacking means of delivery to supply these soldiers. And it's not something that's talked about a lot. People talk a lot about the picket's charge and about, you know, the mule shoe and hornet's nest and all these horrific battles. But it's what they did to prevent more bloodshed, more battles that ultimately was what won the war. Yep, know? exactly. And that's what that's how Sherman was thinking. When I read about Mars Lake's argument about the fact that Sherman had friends in the South and that he could potentially be facing them or their sons or whatever, that's when it was like, well, this is what he's he's trying to not just I don't think he's just trying to save the lives of his own men. He's looking to the other side too, because there's this, you know, he was just a man who was for the union, right? But he had friends who lived in the South. I don't know. That was a huge thing for me to to read that that he was you know this is a way to save lives in the long run well they talk about that how many lives ultimately were saved by what he did and people didn't really realize it at the time certainly people don't know and doing now especially if you go down to georgia they oh, think yeah. it's quite the opposite but when you look at ultimately what his goals were you look at that original quote he had it was to go to meridian destroy as much as he could and be back by march 1st yes he didn't get forced that was the one thing that yeah. didn't happen but for the most part Beyond that, it was pristine. They only lost 170 guys out of 20,000. You could take 20,000 people and you could walk to Rhode Island, you're going to lose 170 today. (laughs) Okay? So when you think about that, the fact that that's all they lost, it's remarkable. And no one knows how much the Confederates lost because they kept running. They kept exactly. going. Yeah, yeah. The casualties you know? are very low in this campaign, much like just the same with the March to the Sea, right? Like the March to the Sea doesn't have a lot of casualties, no. which is sad, but not as many if they were fighting pitched battles like Shiloh, like Gettysburg, like Antietam, yeah. you know. Polk was, Polk was turning and going. He must have had all Howard's playbook. He <laughs> picked it up in Chancellorsville. <laughs> Listening to Born to Run. Oh, Um, exactly. (laughs) The other thing to mention about this, too is also something that happens on the March to the Sea. And this is, it doesn't get talked about a lot with the Meridian campaign, but there are escaped slaves that are joining Sherman on this, just mm-hmm. like on the March. And O'Connell says it drew them like a magnet and they picked up between five to 8,000. It's not sure exactly how many, but there was one soldier that wrote, and a lot of these guys are going to be seeing slavery for the first time. And he wrote in his diary, they form a mournful curiosity with their lacerated backs, branded faces, and ragged garments. They are of both sexes in every shade of complexion. They vary in age from one month to 100 years. Some were on foot, some on horseback, some in ox carts. So this is the same as what's going to happen on the March to the Sea. So again, like on the March to the Sea, this is not Sherman's first time having escaped slaves coming with him. Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna tell the story. It is funny though how Meridian is basically a microchasm of what's gonna come later. It's it almost exactly half the distance. Yeah, right? and it's the exper- it's the experiment that nobody talks about, and the mm-hmm. I think to look at the Meridian campaign is to have a better understanding of the March to the Sea because the Meridian campaign is where Sherman does his research on okay, is this type of warfare okay? It's different from, you know, Jomini, it's different from Napoleonic style tactics. And then he finds that, you know, cases in where the British monarchs are doing this to people in Ireland. And he's like, okay, if they're doing it, then I can do this too. I don't want to say it's justification, but he's found, you know, to see if it's okay to do this. And he realizes no, but it's he's been had, done before. He's had this, you can tell he's had this idea in his head for a while. Oh, it when began in Vicksburg. It began in the Vicksburg even, campaign. Even before that, even before that, yeah. he knew that the only way they were going to be able to win this war was to take it to the streets, take it to the people and yeah. make them 
want to stop fighting. Ironically, it was the same game plan that the Rebs had, was to make the North sick of fighting and quit. Ultimately, is what, what Sherman certainly did. But it's a good study, though. And it's one that really, you know, no one really stands out. talks about MVPs and things like that. Sherman's game plan, I mean, obviously... What he did to fake out Polk as far as going to Mobile and using banks to cover it was brilliant in that regard. He was able to keep everyone at bay without knowing where he was going to the mm-hmm. point where he faked out, like we said, Joseph Johnson had no idea where he was going. Yeah. And so when he did start that march, right, later on, it was a similar thing again. They didn't know where he was going. You know, is he going to Macon? Is he going to Augusta? Is he going to Savannah? Is he going all, you know, all kinds of places? Ended up being poor Savannah, of course, you know. <laughs> poor Savannah. But poor Savannah again. Ultimately, what it does, it helps create that mystique of Sherman, where it just makes people tremble in their shoes, even mentioning his name. Because not only is he good and is he aggressive, he's smart and he can outthink you. And he's got you beat. He's like a a really good football coach, right? Where he has you beat before the game even starts because he psychs you out. And that's who Sherman was. And that's he really proved that going forward. And it shook off kind of that stink of Chickasaw. Yeah. That stink of Of Chattanooga. And Missionary Ridge and all that. Yeah. And I mean, the letter he writes to Ellen, he's very confident going into this that he's, and it's probably because he's starting to do something a little bit different. You know, this is something that hasn't been really tried before. And yeah, it does begin in the Vicksburg campaign. And the funny thing is, is when it's on the Vicksburg campaign and they're raiding people's houses, Sherman's like, nope, we can't do that. That's wrong. And then you flash forward to Meridian. And he's like, fuck that. Take their shit. Well, he learned his lesson. He was almost got caught in Decatur. And that would have been a huge disaster oh, yeah. for the Union if Sherman got caught, right? I mean, can you imagine? Well, Uncle Blungy heading off to Libby Prison. Oh, God. You know? But I think um, but it, it would have changed everything. So this march was not without risk in Washington and Lincoln and Halleck and all them were nervous for it for that reason. And justifiably so, they were nervous. But Grant had the confidence in him. So when he went back later and wanted to march to Savannah, these are the things that are on the back of Grant's mind, right? In the yeah. back of Lincoln's mind. So it helps develop that cult of personality that is also breeding confidence that this is a guy who's going to either do what he's going to do or if things go bad, he's going to find his way out. Yeah. Right? And you got to wonder sure. if that's, just, that's, that's who he was. And you got to wonder too, if it, the people that experienced this in Meridian or between Vicksburg and Meridian, if they lived somewhere along the way, if somehow word had got to Georgia, this is what he did. And Sherman would have just went with that. He would have went with like, let them talk about me, let them hype it up, let them be scared. Because that's what he wanted. Well, that's exactly what he wanted. And he wanted to, again, he wanted to just develop that fear of what he was going to do. It wasn't a reckless attack. You know, Grant gets gets called the butcher and Lee has those high death numbers. But what Sherman did is he ultimately did look to protect his soldiers. Having the low death counts and low casualty numbers shows that he wasn't just about to throw into the meat grinder to do this. It was strategic. It was done. It was a thinking man's expedition is what mm-hmm. it really, really was. Yeah. You know, you sure me you talk about the fire and we perpetuate ourselves. Oh, yeah. The time. But what he did is he was he was not someone who unnecessarily took risk. Mm-hmm. He was someone who took a calculator risk. And it, and it showed. Yeah, Meridian's exactly. a great example of that. It is. Yeah. And like I said, it's definitely something that, you know, if you studied the March of the Sea, look at Meridian first, because there's a lot and he does learn like he learns how to better utilize the cavalry because the rebel cavalry was constantly at him on this march to the point where they had to march very narrow. They're not in that. Now, again, there's less men on this one. But, you know, the March of the Sea is they're cutting this 60 mile swath. They're like a 60 mile wide land shock going through Georgia, right? Yeah. But, you know, 
know what though? He, they were dealing with Frank Armstrong. They weren't dealing with Forrest. Exactly. Jay. Yeah. They they weren't they weren't dealing with the A team. Yeah. Old Suey, unfortunately, was, was dealing with. <laughs> He's persona deal. non grata. There's no MVP in this battle, but there is a persona no, non grata, no. and it's poor Suey Smith. He's no Suey Smith was had his ass dragged for eleven miles. I think it might have happened to any of them because of Forrest's reputation. Like Forrest was just. A, He's insane, right? And like, he's outnumbered by the union, but he's still able to beat them. Almost well, he was, but he had those Missouri militia guys came came yeah. and helped him push him back too. But yeah, still going into it, it's seven thousand to four thousand. It's almost two to one, not quite. But yeah. it, but why but you wouldn't let Sherman know what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Well, I mean, he gets he gets pushed back to Tennessee, and yeah. he just—I mean—he was he was running. He was he was literally getting his butt kicked while he was running. Yeah, right. And I don't think he was too quick to tell little Uncle Blingy what happened either. I think he's like, well, no. let's, let's just get back and we'll deal with that later. Yeah, maybe it was the arthritis that did. Who knows? <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> so what's coming up next? What's coming down the horizon for so, the Breakfast Club? So next week we will be talking about Battle of Pea Ridge. Which mm-hmm. we're headed not. It's not really the Western Theater. It's the Trans Mississippi, right? It, I, I guess it would be. Well, yeah. It's still sort of West. I still yeah. think it's kind of. I mean, West, there are yeah. people that like to call it the Trans Mississippi Theater. Oh, those people, you know. <laughs> I don't look, I don't like doing labels. Okay. <laughs> Earl Van Dorn is back though oh. next week. You're down with EVD. Yeah, we talk with him next week. <laughs> that sounds like an STD. It sounds like an APL situation. That sounds like yeah. something you pick up at the the. Oh, the, I got the, that the EVD. Oh, I got my God, that EVD from the Bang Bar. <laughs> Oh, did you get it at Holly Ridge? I know it's Holly Springs. I know. Um, so yeah, we will be Battle of Pea Ridge. And then after that, I think we are still, okay, it's not really Western Theater. The Battle of Bentonville, which is going to be part two of our Carolinas campaign. And then we are Oh, gonna... we're talking Carolinas. Here we go again. Yeah, Bentonville, Battle mm. of Bentonville. Well, that'll be, that'll be going. So it's nice to be back in that battle mode again, right? Yeah. So we'll be doing our live again, talking about this. And we'll get off to P Rage. We'll get off to Bentonville. We won't be long married until we'll be doing our roundtable again on St. Patty's Day. St. Patrick's be, Day, yes. Which has disaster in all of it. Does, but we'll have we'll have fun with that. Because we're and not going to be dry book, in March, as of. Uh, and, that's true. And then, of course, this book club that seemingly we had this idea ten years ago was finally going to be. Happening. I know it. It seems like so long ago, but this is our first time doing it, so maybe we'll tweak it for twenty twenty two. It is. We'll, we'll definitely look forward to that. So good things yeah. coming down the pike. So we'll leave it here with this, and we'll get ready to talk about P ridge and all the fun and games taking place in the trans mississippi area so good podcast i thought it was pretty solid it was always fun talking about old old uncle blingy yep. talking about the gang of old burbsy and Stephen hurlbust yep. and the rest of them that people do, don't really get a chance to we don't talk to too much about them it's something that we can definitely look to expand upon as we talk about some of these future battles and some of these guys continue to be more colorful as the rest of them are yes well that was a very enjoyable discussion as always so hey like i said many many times the pleasure was all yours man Fucker. <laughs> so everybody listening thank you uh for all your support we've actually just surpassed our six-month anniversary with doing this podcast no one's been killed yet not yet (laughs) me anyway that's she hasn't killed me yet so that's a good thing that's a good thing all right mary so we will look forward to talking to you soon everybody thanks for listening hope to see you on the live on saturday and we will begin to change our gears from meridian to P Ridge. Any final words from you, the Queen of Kincardine? <laughs> well, everybody have a good night, and this was a pleasure as always, Darren. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. peace out, everybody. See you later, guys. <laughs>